And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fawson. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by going to veteransradio.net. And until next time, you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, NVBDC.org, Eisenhower Center, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan. VFW, Graf O'Hara, Post 423 in Ann Arbor. And the American Legion, Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. They keep us on the air, as does your support. Go to Facebook, go to veteransradio.net, and support our efforts. And until next time, you are dismissed. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today, William Volano. Bill served in the U.S. Army in the Medical Service Corps in 1955 to 1957, but we have him on uh, to talk about his involvement in shepherding forward a upgrade package for Lieutenant Colonel Charles Kettles, whose Distinguished Service Cross was ultimately upgraded to the Medal of Honor, and that Medal of Honor was awarded to him by President Barack Obama in uh, 19, oh, I lost the date already. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. 1916, uh, I'm sorry, 2016. So that, that uh, Medal of Honor upgrade uh, ceremony was in July of 2016. Um, okay. And and uh, we're gonna let me let me just set this up a little bit that uh, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Kettle, who's now deceased and who received the Medal of Honor from President Barack Obama in July of 2016, it was for his saving uh, 40 soldiers and four crew members on a damaged UH-1D helicopter while under fire in Vietnam in 1967 really just months into his first deployment in Vietnam. And Charles Kettle sort of was really a a born, you know, in his blood was aviation. His father was a uh, World War I Royal Air Force Canadian uh, and World War II U.S. Army Air Corps pilot. Uh, So Charles came by to aviation, uh, you know, from his genetics. Um, That's right. And, and he was a graduate of uh, the Edison Institute High School in Dearborn, Michigan. He um, flew for Ford Motor Company. He ultimately uh, got an engineering degree from what was then Michigan State Normal College, but now is Eastern Michigan University. He served um, in the 50s, 1950s. Uh, as a pilot with service in Korea, Japan, and Thailand. He got out 
this is part of the amazing part of the story is he got out, returned and started a Ford dealership with his brother, but re-enlisted in 1963 when the United States needed pilots for the Vietnam War and, and, and Charles Kettles would have been about a 33-year-old at the time. Uh, he ultimately uh, qualified for helicopter um, flight and uh, was sent off to, to Vietnam to join a new helicopter unit, the 176 Assault Helicopter Company. And it's in that role that he served as a flight commander and uh, was faced with a, a horrific situation when a battalion-sized enemy force ambushed and outnumbered elements of the 1st Brigade, 101st Airborne Division near Duke Pho. Um he led a, uh, a platoon of uh, these uh, UH Hueys helicopters again and again into intense fire to help uh, rescue these men, which he did. And as he said, he kept these 44 men uh, off the Vietnam Memorial. So um, the story of Charles Kettle, which we have told on Veterans Radio before, is quite incredible and, and, and is worth reading or listening to in its entirety. But we have on... Bill Volano to talk about kind of a, how do you get there? How do you go from receiving the Distinguished Service Cross and 50 years later uh, getting your medal upgraded to the Medal of Honor? And, and in our experience, these men never ask for this. It's somebody comes along and says, oh my goodness, you know, this should be more. And that brings us to you, Bill. Um, All right. After your service, you came back to the Ann Arbor, Michigan area. You were president and CEO of a large nonprofit in Southeast Michigan, and you got involved in the Veterans History Project. Tell us, tell us about that project. Well, let me tell you, first of all, I, I, I first met Charlie when I interviewed him for the Veterans History Project. And the Veterans History Project was established by Congress, I think, in the year 2000, and it was to collect and preserve and make accessible the uh, personal accounts of uh, American wartime veterans so that future generations would hear directly from the veteran about their experiences and know the realities of war. Um, If if I may talk about what we did locally, locally the, the Ypsilanti Rotary Club picked up the uh, the ball uh, about uh, setting up a local veterans history project, and uh, we were first made aware of this by a professor, a history professor at Eastern Michigan University. After I wrote several grants requesting funds. Since Congress did not provide any real assistance except for brochures and things of that sort. Well, after receiving the grants, uh, we purchased cameras and tapes and other equipment used in converting these tapes to DVDs, which we eventually sent to the Library of Congress. We also, as and one thing that I'm proud of, um, not that I had anything to do with it, but we also set up a local website for uh, veterans and their families uh, to access um, through the uh, Ypsilanti Historical Society uh, Museum. Uh, 
But you know, back to my interview with Charlie, I, I was nearly finished when his wife came down the stairs and said, uh, did you tell him about May 15th? And Charlie, well, yeah, you know. Uh, he started to describe the incident of May 15th. Uh, he, as you said, he made several trips to the war zone to deliver and pick up troops and deliver supplies and so on. And in the process, uh, enemy fire made at least three helicopters he was flying um, inoperable, unusable, uh, after he returned to the uh, uh, landing zone. Uh, on his fourth trip, he had to borrow um, a copter from another unit. Uh, his his CO uh, very strongly advised him not to go, but Charlie went anyhow, because uh, he knew that there were more stranded soldiers there. When he returned to the to the to the pickup zone, uh, the the eight soldiers would have certainly been captured or killed or whatever. Uh, and he was able to load them up. When he wanted to take off, his car his copter was overloaded. When he tried to take off, he couldn't get enough lift because of the load. And he described how he would get enough lift because of the load. He then described how he would get lift a little bit, then bounce down on the road, on the, the dried riverbed, go up a little higher, bounce again. And he went through this process several times until he. he really got enough lift, all the while under enemy fire. And after he described all of this, he said, oh, piece of cake. Just another day so, of flying, right? <laughs> uh, that was, you know, that's, that's low-key Charlie, you know, uh, piece of cake. Um, when Charlie was asked at one point, what he regarded as his, his greatest accomplishment, his answer was typical kettle. And he said his proudest uh, moment, if you will, was that there were 44 names that were not on that uh, wall in D.C. And that's how many soldiers he saved uh, at that at, on that day. And Charlie's heroics uh, inspired a local group to put together a book describing his and other uh, veterans' experiences. And the, the title of that book is We Answered the Call. Um, that, that, that book, by the way, has been widely distributed to schools and libraries in this area and, of course, to local veterans. Well, back to the interview. After I interviewed him, I went home, still struck by his heroics, and I called Charlie back and I said, you know, would you mind terribly if I tried to get your medal upgraded? And a typical low-key Charlie said, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, he also gave me permission to contact several veterans who, who um, knew what transpired that day. I made about a half a dozen 
contacts, calls to uh, veterans. And Bill, what year? All of whom what, declared, what year would this have been? I'm sorry. What year would this have been, Bill? Um, this was well. If he got it in 216, it had to be 207 or 208. Yeah, I saw it was about a ten-year journey. I was, but I also saw it was less. Than well, that. it was. It was. Um, uh, actually, it, it, I'm a rather impatient guy. I'm told by my daughter. <laughs> um, She's probably right. But, uh, it took four and a half years of, of my process, anyhow. Um, but anyhow, I, I make contact with these veterans just. All of whom said, hey, if it wasn't for Charlie, I wouldn't be here today. Oh, God, you know. After that, I, I contacted uh, Congressman Dingle and eventually, of course, uh, Cong- Congresswoman Dingle's office. And luckily, I, I made contact with uh, their worker or aide, uh, Sharon Vesprimi. Uh, she was fabulous. We started out by getting all of these veterans who knew what Charlie had done uh, to uh, uh, give us statements. And I had my own statement, too, which I don't believe in the final analysis carried much weight. But I pointed out that in my experiences at Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas, I witnessed many extraordinary stories by veterans and active duty military. Uh, Charlie's experiences overshadowed most of those. That's what I said. And, you know, again, I don't know what impact that had. Um, After getting these statements, little did we know that they had to be certified. Oh. So getting these statements certified meant another delay and took time and patience. And, and if I may, it reminded me of my own experiences in attempting to uh, get a direct commission as a social worker. Uh, as a newly married person, I wanted very much to do everything I could to uh, make sure that I had every opportunity to have my wife with me, even if it was only for a brief training period. Well, it, it took me 10 months to finally get my commission, and uh, I would complete <laughs> forms only to... That's the Army. Go ahead. That's the yeah. Army for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, the, 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 it happened that I would fill out forms, and they would become obsolete. And you, you wonder, what? it's only a few months. But anyhow, I finally got to my local congressman or through the help of somebody I knew. From that point on, I heard only from the adjutant general. Before that, I was talking only to civilians. And they really did not like me for some reason. Well, Bill, this is this does tie into how things went with uh, Charlie Kettles in that if you didn't have the right congressperson uh, oh, yes. working with Absolutely. you, it it wouldn't have moved along. So how did how did uh, little old you get the Congress folks to say, "Hey, this is worthy of advancing"? 
Well, you know, this is what I keep. People ask, call me and ask me, how, how do you go about doing this? And I say, first of all, you got to get to your local congressman and you got to make sure that you get an aide that really is committed, just the way Sharon was. She was committed absolutely 1,000%. So she was absolutely key in all of this, really. Um, and, and did you have to track down certified statements from those who were on the battle scene, his commanders up the chain? Who all did you well, have to reach I, out to? Yeah, I, I, I talked to, um, I, I didn't talk to a CO, but I talked to other uh, commission officers. I also talked to his gunner who uh, I, I met at the ceremony. He He lost a leg, and I guess... He was Charlie's only casualty, um, but he was absolutely committed to to uh, Charlie and what he had done. Um, you know, as I said, the, the whole process took me a four and a half years. I'm sorry, yes, four and a half years, um, and it finally got cleared by the Pentagon, the Congress, and uh, I guess the president himself. And since his performance was more than five years ago, he needed, or we needed a special exemption by congressmen. This was a necessary necessary, uh, process because it was more than five years ago. And thanks to Congresswoman Dingell and Senator Stabenow and Senator Peters, uh, the process was approved by uh, Congress, and uh, Congress and, and Charlie got his very well-deserved recognition. Recognition, um, just, just that was great. When when we started, uh, I started trying to line you up to have this discussion because uh, I kind of refer to guys like you as Medal of Honor Sherpas, the guides that get you up Mount Everest. This is almost an, an impossible task. Uh, you said, well, it wasn't just me. It's, it's, it's a lot of people who were involved. And I understand uh, Charlie's son, Mike, who's a retired Navy pilot, also helped in this endeavor. Can, can you explain about yes, maybe I, the, I'll refer to it as uh, Team Kettles here, that, that helped you move this along? Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Um, prior to the actual ceremony, by the way, I spent, oh, the better part of an hour on the phone talking to one of President Obama's aides. And practically everything I told the aide, uh, President Obama mentioned in his presentation, as if he had interviewed Charlie himself, you know, and it just goes to show how well prepared our president was at the time. I mean, he... He um, uh, he had aides who who really helped him. Well, and that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you about. Is you know, no, very few people will ever be in the room for a Medal of Honor ceremony, and and it's one of those things where you wonder whether or not that that event, that day, the days leading up to it, are as respectful and dignified and powerful 
as one might think a Medal of Honor ceremony should be. So walk us through those couple of days and how how you felt uh, going into that. Oh, my wife and I were invited to go to Washington and uh, it it was overwhelming. It really was. Um, And if I can inject another personal note here, prior to the ceremony, my one claim to fame was that early in the 1950s, I had dinner with Eleanor Roosevelt, and, you know, that was a big deal. Uh, me and about nine other students from the University of Connecticut. Um, during the, Medi- the, the Medal of Honor uh, presentation, President Obama mentioned me by name four times. And uh, believe me, that, that replaced Eleanor, <laughs> I claim to say. <laughs> Absolutely. But talk, talk to us a little bit about uh, that ceremony and the buildup to it uh, um, and, and maybe sort of what, what you saw from the inside that the outside never gets to see. Well, first of all, the, the room was mobbed. They're just people from all over the country came and uh, it was it was a very dignified um, uh, process uh, presentation. I, the, the president was great. The uh, other speakers, and I've forgotten who all they were, they, they were really good. Um, and it was overwhelmingly impressive to, for me and for my wife. Uh, you know, I don't think we ever expected that kind of um, ceremony, to be part of that kind of ceremony, and uh, it, it was um, it was worthwhile. Well, it's one of those things that, uh, again, most of us will never really experience. But I think we can all think about, and I'd like your views on why do we think the Medal of Honor is still important to, to the civilian population today? What, what's your to thoughts the about it? Population. Yeah. What what should what should other people take away from a Medal of Honor recipient? What's what's important about it? I, I think they need to know that these veterans, these soldiers went into what's called harm's way without any regard for their own safety, but they were dedicated to the, their, their fellow soldiers. Their, their, and because of that, they were able to do spectacular things. And again, there was no consideration for their own safety. And that was Charlie 100%. He didn't care about himself. He talked about a, um, a mortar coming up through the, the floor of the copter, you know, and just inches away from where he was sitting. You know, it, didn't, it was kind of all matter of fact to him. But uh, his, his saving the soldiers, and as I said before, his uh, claim to fame was that there were 44 guys who were not on that wall. Um, and that's impressive. And we're talking, to, we're talking to Bill Volano, who 
is a uh, so, some referred to Bill I heard, saw you referred to as an amateur historian I don't know if you accept that mantle or not but oh yes how many how many veterans for the veterans history project do you do you think you've interviewed at this point oh uh, I don't know maybe 7500. And one of the things, you know, he, he so Bill's doing this, and the kettle story just stands out as so much more. But I, but I think it's important for us to read and understand these Medal of Honor stories because every one of those seventy-five or so veterans you've interviewed have some small part, similar part of where they served and did their duty to the country and didn't really worry about themselves they you know they were away from home they were away from family they might have been in harm's way they certainly were more than inconvenienced and and every veteran has a little slice of that um the the, the sacrifice that the medal of honor recipients have i think did did you do do you feel the same yeah i've been asked several times why i got involved in the veterans history project to begin with and in addition to being asked by the EMU professor, uh, Nelson, uh, I had four uncles, a brother, and a, and a close cousin, all of whom served in World War II. Uh, all except my brother were in combat. Two, two of my uncles were severely injured. Uh, one of them was on Omaha Beach in, in D-Day. And and as I say, except for my brother, who was pretty lucky at the time, uh, they all were in combat. My my cousin was actually on Iwo Jima. My family has, from all of these relatives, not word one about them. And I think that's absolutely tragic. Um and it's something that that we all bear shame for, you know, not not insisting on getting their their history uh, for their grandkids and our grandkids and our great grandkids and so on, um, because there's nothing like hearing it from from the people who experienced it. Um, and that that's that was my motivation, if you will. Well, one of the things that uh, you know uh, can elaborate for Bill here is that the Ann Arbor Ypsilanti area has always been really focused on honoring its veterans. Um, uh, you mentioned the book. We answered the call. I have in front of me the book uh, "Sacrifices Not Forgotten: Brothers Rest in Peace." Yeah. That um, I went to to find some material about you, uh, having helped out. Uh, John Kinzinger is authored of that one, and with some uh, yeah. uh, stories of everybody who who lost their life in Vietnam from the region. Um, so I do. I agree with you, Bill. I, I think it's important to tell these stories and and get the the words down on paper uh, or in audio video content. Uh, you're you're no longer a young man, are you, Bill? No, I'm going to be 91 in three and a half months. So we were really happy to uh, capture this uh, uh, discussion because. Charles Kettles is now gone, and um, exactly how this came about would could easily have been lost if we didn't take a little time to talk about 
what started as a simple interview uh, in the Veterans History Project, and more, maybe more importantly, and there's probably a lesson for all of us here, when the wife comes down and says, did you tell him about? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. how this all got started, wasn't it? <laughs> got to listen to your wife. Yes, absolutely. If it wasn't for Ann, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have asked him anything about this because I didn't get any hint of what he was doing. Uh, and, and she came down the stairs and said, hey, did you tell him about May 15th? <laughs> we sat down again, and he went, yeah, okay, and he told me. Well, you know, it, it, it's the lead-up to he broke three or four helicopters for the government on his way to this heroic act, but, they, you know, that's that's sort of the, yeah, I broke those. i got to give them back now, so. Uh, he actually got a bill from, I don't know, it was certainly a joke, for the uh, four, four helicopters that he destroyed in in this process, uh, and he, he's got that he had that framed in in his house, and it was a it's kind of a fun thing. Well, I think I think your work in moving this forward, being the Medal of Honor Sherpa, if you will, recognizing that this was above and beyond the normal story, and needed to be honored and retold is so important and so critical. I'm sure the, the Kettles family is very appreciative of all, all of the work that you've done there. But on behalf of all veterans and on behalf of veterans radio listeners, I want to thank you, uh, Bill Volano, for what you did here to preserve this history, as, lo- as well as the history that you're preserving for the other 75 men that you've interviewed. Well, uh, thank you. And Again, um, much of the, the, the credit goes to Ann and certainly Sharon Vesprimi, who, um, without her help, I don't, I don't think we would have gone anywhere. She was fabulous. Well, thanks for spending some time today with Veterans Radio. Well, th- thank you for, for having me. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fossone. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by going to veteransradio.net. And until next time, You are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, nvbdc.org, Eisenhower Center. VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan, VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor, and the American Legion Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. They keep us on the air, as does your support. Go to Facebook, go to veteransradio.net, and support our efforts. And until next time, You are dismissed.